So who are the really happy people? I don't just mean in this room. I mean in life. Who are the really happy people? It's a question you ought to ask if you want to be one of them. So you know, what is it that brings about true, enduring, deep-down happiness? That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, where he gives these statements describing those kind of people. People who are blessed. That's the word he uses, but that's what he means. Truly, deeply happy. So we are in this series where we're looking at those statements. They're called the Beatitudes. We've looked at six of them, or was it five? We come today to number six. And we are in Matthew chapter five. If you've got a Bible and you want to grab it, open it up to Matthew five. Help yourself to one in the rack in front of you if you'd like. Matthew, first book of the New Testament, fifth chapter. And before we read it, let's take a minute and let's ask God to guide us. Gracious Father, we want to pause now and we want to ask you to open up our minds and hearts to understand what it is that you want to teach us today, what you want us to know, what you want us to believe, and what you want us to do. And we pray all this because of Jesus and all he's done to make this possible, that we could know you, that we could be taught by you, that we could draw close to you and hear your voice. So speak to us now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, let's begin at verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 8. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's say that last one together, shall we? The last beatitude, begin the word blessed in verse 8. Here we go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One more time. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Before we go on, could we just stop for a minute and think about how amazing that statement is? You know, being familiar with the Bible is a really good thing. It's an important thing. We should all be wanting to get more and more familiar with what God teaches us in His Word so we can believe it, so that we can know it so we can do it. So being familiar with your Bible is a really good thing. But it's also a really dangerous thing. And it's dangerous because when you get familiar with something, 
you can fail to appreciate it the way you should. You get used to it. You kind of take it for granted, even if it's something amazing. You know, think about the fact we live here in the Pacific Northwest. We are surrounded by all of this natural beauty, and sometimes we just fail to appreciate it. You know, we've got, we've got the mountains, we've got the waterfalls, we've got the trees, we've got the lakes, the rivers, we've got the Columbia River Gorge, and it is incredibly beautiful. And so now and then we ought to just stop, and we ought to really look at it, and just be amazed by it, and thank God for it. And what's true of the beauty that surrounds us is even more true when we're talking about the incredible, glorious truths of God's Word. We need to stop, and we need to look at them, and really see them, and thank God for them. So look again at verse 8. Jesus says, blessed Okay, deeply, truly happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That is a stunning statement. Can you believe, does it amaze you that Jesus would make that promise to us? It's amazing. And then one other thing to think about before we really dive in here. Please don't tune out because you've decided in advance that this can never be true of you. Because maybe when you hear that, blessed are the pure in heart, you think pure in heart. Okay, well, uh, that leaves me out. That's impossible. Can't be true of me, so whatever Jesus is saying, he's not talking to me. That's not true. Jesus is not in the habit of saying meaningless things that do not apply to real people with real struggles like us. I can guarantee you, on the authority of God's word, that if you want to see God, this beatitude can be true for you. So let's, let's work our way through this by God's grace, and let's deal with some very important questions. First question, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, let's start with something obvious. Jesus is talking about something on the inside of us, not on the outside of us. In other words, he's not talking about how we appear to other people, how we look. Blessed are those who look pure. He's not talking about that. He's talking about how we actually are. Because heart refers to the real us. You know, our real thoughts, our real desires, our real attitudes, our real beliefs. Listen to this quote from John Piper. He says, The first thing we learn from this beatitude is that Jesus is concerned with our heart. It is not enough to clean up our act on the outside. The aim of Jesus is not, I love this, 
The aim of Jesus is not to reform the manners of society, but to change the hearts of sinners like you and me. The heart is what you are in the secrecy of your thought and feeling when nobody knows but God. Jesus did not come into the world simply because we have some bad habits that need to be broken. He came into the world because we have such dirty hearts, we need to be purified. Now, be sure you keep that in mind. Jesus came to deal with sinful, impure hearts. Don't ever forget, Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Don't lose sight of that. He came to save sinners. If you're a sinner, you qualify <laughs> for His saving work. And what we see here in this beatitude is that His saving work goes deep it's got to go deep because it's got to deal the real issue is the condition of our hearts not just our outward actions now don't hear that and say well that means our outward actions don't matter no they do matter they matter a lot they matter immensely but see sinful actions always come from sinful hearts and so if all we do is we just change our outward behavior and we don't deal with our hearts it it Well, people have described it like putting a new suit of clothes on a corpse, on a dead body. Yeah, it was right. It might look nice, but it doesn't fix the problem. And I point this out because there seems to be in our world today a lot of superficial faith. There seem to be people who who claim to believe in Jesus but they don't seem at all concerned with the condition of their hearts. They don't seem to be concerned with things like a heartfelt desire for purity and a desire to see God. And yet Jesus says the heart is the issue. Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. They come from the heart. Jesus had really strong words to say, to people who were very concerned to look good on the outside but didn't want to deal with the junk on the inside. And so, you know, take a look at just one of the things he said to the spiritual leaders of the day that that used to criticize him. They used to get on his case for all kinds of things. Like, he wasn't careful to follow their prescribed, careful hand-washing rituals that they had come up with. And so Jesus says to them, Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the outside of the cup and the plate, that the outside, inside of the cup and plate, that the outside may also be clean. Now, he's not just concerned about plates and cups. He's talking about our hearts, people. Deal with the inside. You know, if I, if I took a bowl and I filled it up with dog food and I set it down in front of my dog and he, you know, wolfed it down, slobbered all over it, 
And then I picked it up, and I noticed, hey, there's a little smudge on the outside. I grabbed the cloth and wiped that smudge clean so it all looked nice. Then I just walked over, and I filled it up with soup or chili and set it in front of you. <laughs> Would you eat it? <laughs> See, it's the inside. The inside we got to deal with. All right, so what does it mean to be pure in heart? Pure in heart. Well, pure can mean a couple of things. It can mean unmixed, undiluted. So, for example, if you've got pure vanilla extract, what that means is it's 100% vanilla extract. There's nothing else in it. So you've got pure vanilla extract. And then the other thing we use pure to mean is, is clean. It's clean. But now notice how these two ideas are actually related. Because if you've got pure water, what you mean is it's clean, it's safe to drink, because it's unmixed. It's undivided. There's, it's not you know mostly water and just a little bit of pollution. It's clean because it's unmixed. And see, that is the idea of a pure heart. It's an unmixed heart. It's an undivided heart. Unmixed in what way? In that it's given over completely to God and his will. Jesus said, somebody asked him one day, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? I mean, the Bible is just full of commandments. Could you just like boil it down what what's the number one commandment and jesus said it's this to love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind see not just with part of our heart but with all of our heart a divided heart is an impure heart And when our hearts have an unmixed, undivided, undiluted love for God, then that produces in us a longing that our hearts would be clean, that they would be filled only with good thoughts and good desires. (laughs) Man, do we have a problem. We have such a problem. Who? has that kind of heart who's got that kind of heart i mean ask yourself how many hours how many minutes can you go without thinking a single impure thought or feeling a single impure desire how long can you go if you're like me not very long So should we just fold our Bibles here and give up and say, can't do it? No way. No way. Listen very carefully. Remember how these Beatitudes start, or if you're just joining us, listen to how they start. Jesus starts number one Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they are spiritually bankrupt before God. They got nothing. They got no way to earn God's approval, to gain favor with God by their own spiritual resources. We've got nothing. And Jesus says, blessed are people who realize that, who acknowledge that, who admit it, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now think about that. If Jesus says there's no way 
because you're spiritually bankrupt, that you can earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. But if you realize that, you've got it. All right, if you've got the kingdom of God and you can't possibly earn it, how did you get it? It must have been a gift. And the same is true when it comes to purity of heart. To have a pure heart, the only way our hearts are going to get pure is if God gives us purity of heart. If God does the purifying. And that is exactly what Jesus does for those who trust in him. Okay, now do not take my word for it. I want you to see that this is really what God's word teaches. Okay, this is very important. All right, the Bible says two things that are going to sound like, well, they're a paradox, but they're going to sound like they contradict. The Bible says both that we can't be pure, and it says we can be pure. See, that's a contradiction. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Because when it says we can't be pure, what it means is we cannot be pure in the sense of purifying our own hearts by our own merits. Okay, so David says to the Lord in Psalm 143, verse 2, Lord, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Proverbs 29, who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Nobody. Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we could just go on and on and on. The Bible teaches what we know to be true in our experience. We cannot, by our own merits, purify our own hearts. We just can't do it. We don't love God like we should love God. Our hearts are divided. And because they're divided, we think things at times and we desire things at times that are just flat-out evil. Now, I don't know if that seems to be true for you or not. I would just say, if it doesn't seem true for you, you want to work on (laughs) self-awareness. Because I know for me, all I have to do to demonstrate the truth of what I just said is go out driving in traffic. (laughs) And very quickly, I I discover once again, oh yeah, I can't purify my own heart. I got a problem. The Bible teaches that. But the Bible also teaches that we can be pure in this sense. In the sense of relying on God and God alone to purify our hearts. So, go back to Psalm 143. In the verse right next to where he says, No one living is righteous before you. David says, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me, in your righteousness. Psalm 51, verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. How can a holy God do that? How can a holy God forgive sins? How can a holy God purify impure hearts? Do not miss this. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Titus 2.13, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
gave himself for us. He's talking about the cross. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And look at it. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. He gave himself for us to purify us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from a lot of unrighteousness. From most unrighteousness. What's it say? From all unrighteousness. Doesn't that just stagger you? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness? So, can you right now, can I right now be pure in heart? Yes. Yes, if you put all of your trust in Christ as your one and only hope to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you live your life in reliance upon Him. And you say, okay, so I can grasp that, you know, if I, if I put my trust in Christ, you know, He makes me righteous, but then I, you know, I still don't think my heart is pure. How does that work out? Okay, let's take a look. 1 John 1, 3. Uh, not 1, 3, 3, 2. 1, 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. Look what he says. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Now. Who's he talking to? Who's we? We'll go back to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins. That is, if we admit our sins. We come to Christ and we admit our sins instead of denying our sins, pretending we're not sinners. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we come to Jesus by faith, we put our trust in him as our one and only hope. He cleanses us from righteousness. He purifies us in God's eyes. He makes us children of God now. So now we are children of God. Go on. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know. That when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, so even though we're forgiven now, God regards us as our children now, we are pure in his sight now, we're still not what we're going to be. This world is still messed up, you think? We're still all broken. And so we live in anticipation of something. You see that? We're not yet what we're going to be, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus comes, when he comes and fulfills the promises he gave us, and he comes to fix everything, to fix the world and to fix us, and he, we will be like him, we will have glorified bodies like him, and no more sin. No more sin. We're waiting for that. Okay, now, the next verse. Everyone who has this hope, this anticipation, in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, 
when you know your destiny is to be like Jesus, when you know your destiny is to have a character like his, then you will pursue purity in the choices you make today. If you know you're going to be perfectly pure someday, you're going to want to be as pure as you can be today by relying on Jesus for the choices you make, the thoughts you think, seeking his help, relying on him. Now, that's totally upside down. That's totally not this world. You don't flip on the TV and see a bunch of people, hey, man, let's be pure in heart today. Right? It's completely countercultural to pursue purity in heart. But Jesus says, you'll be blessed. Why? Question two. Why are the pure in heart blessed? Because they shall see God. I have to tell you, when I got to this point in my message, I sat for a long time looking at my computer screen because it seemed like everything I could think to say just seemed so completely lame, so inadequate. How do you do justice to a promise like this? See God? Is Jesus serious? How can that be? How can tiny, finite, limited, messed up, fallen creatures see the unlimited, infinite, all pure, holy, glorious God? The one who gives to every one of us life and breath and everything else. The one who is the source of all beauty and joy and splendor and power and goodness. Have you ever experienced anything awesome? And I'm not talking about awesome the way we use awesome all the time. Okay, hey, parking space, awesome. No, I mean, awesome. Well, it doesn't matter what it was. It doesn't matter how thrilling, how exhilarating, how joy-producing it was. You have never experienced anything close to this. The most beautiful thing you've ever seen the most beautiful, the most spectacular, the most glorious, the most breathtaking things you've ever seen are just a dim reflection of the beauty of God. The best person you've ever met, the, the most kind, the most caring, the most gracious, loving, truthful person you've ever met, they're just a faint image of the goodness of God. The most awesome thing you've ever experienced, the most earth-shaking, terrifying display of power you've ever seen, bolt of lightning, earthquake, tornado, 
the most awesome display of power you have ever witnessed is just the faintest glimmer of God's infinite strength. What does it mean to see God? Well, whatever the details, I'm certain of this. Seeing God will be the most desirable experience of your entire existence. Why do I say that? Psalm 1611. Look at it. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, if you and I were in our right minds, we would want to see God more than we want anything else. We would want to see God more than we want to see anybody else. Is there anybody you really want to see? Is there anybody you're just aching and longing to see? Maybe somebody you love who's passed away. Maybe somebody who moved far away. And you just, you, you would do so much. You would give so much just to be able to see that person again. If we were in our right minds, we would want to see God more than we want to see anybody else. What would you give? To see God. Would you trust Jesus with your heart? Your whole heart. See, if we wanted to see God, we would want our hearts to be pure. We would long to be pure. We would ask God desperately to purify us. We would put our hope completely in Jesus who gave himself to purify us. Because we would want to see God. Don't ever let yourself think that purity doesn't matter. I know it doesn't matter in this world. But don't let yourself, don't tell yourself, don't let yourself believe that what you think, that what you feel in the privacy of your own heart doesn't really matter. It does matter. Jesus came to purify our hearts so we could see God. And if that seems impossible to you, if you just think, there's no way. There's just no way. Pastor Scott, you don't know my heart. You don't know the kind of garbage I think. You don't know the kinds of garbage I desire. No, but I know the garbage I think, and I know the garbage I desire. And so if you think there's no way your heart can be pure, you take that thought and you chuck it. And you choose to believe what Jesus said. And you put this in your thought. Matthew 19, 26. With man, this is impossible, but with God All things are possible, even a pure heart. You can be pure in heart if you want to be. And if you want to see God, you will want to be. Let's pray.
I, I just want to invite you to call out to God, to tell God whatever you want to tell Him right now. Maybe it's to say, thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself for us, for me, to purify me. Maybe it's saying, oh God, I feel so impure. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I admit, I am a fallen, broken sinner. And I need what Jesus wants to give me, that purity. Lord, I need a longing to see God. I find myself longing for other things. Help me be in my right mind. Help me want to see you more than I want to see anything, anyone. Lord, do what you alone can do. Just take a minute quietly with the Lord as I do. Lord, I think of what Isaiah said when he saw you high and lifted up. And he saw your glory. He said, woe to me. For I'm a man of impure lips. And I live among a people of impure lips. Lord, we are impure people and we live among an impure people in a very impure world. God, help us. Give us undivided hearts. Our hearts can be so divided, so mixed, so polluted with so many things. Give us an unwavering, undivided love for you. Lord, we know we don't have the ability to make it happen in ourselves. So we just come before you because of your grace, because Jesus gave himself to purify us, a people for his own possession. Lord, make us pure. Make us pure. Make us want to see God more than we want anything else. Lord, just help us want to see God. So we will be blessed. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.